You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, hello to all of you. I do hope you're keeping well. How have you been spending your time lately? Really? Oh, dear. You aren't arrested. As for me, I've been reading pretty much every fairy tale and folk story ever written in preparation for the upcoming Secret History of Hollywood series, Shadows, which is nigh. I knew some fairy tales were a bit twisted, but my goodness, by the time I'd finished researching, I was fully convinced that cannibalism and torture and necrophilia and incest were all perfectly normal things. I bet you I'm the only podcast you'll listen to this week who uses cannibalism, torture, necrophilia, and incest as an opening gambit. Let's lighten the mood, shall we? The blood crisis is not yet passed. The old blood crisis, yes. The Defense Department still needs vast supplies of blood and blood plasma. Every American soldier who is wounded in battle needs the equivalent of nine pints of blood. Why don't they drink milk instead? So the continuing drain on supplies is obvious. It takes a little time to give your pint of blood. The Red Cross handles a national blood program which aims to supply the total blood needs of the country, civilian and military, current and reserve. Every type of blood is needed, and to meet the demand, Americans are... Oops, he seemed to have cut off there. But don't worry, I know what to do. If any of you guys would like to give blood to the blood crisis, just put some blood in an envelope and send it to the blood crisis. Care of not the vampires, honestly. Castle Dracula... Transylvania, Eastern Europe. Fangs a lot. I know, I know. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Well, in you come to the question pot where I pick up a sopping wet question freshly thrown in, which is from Addison, and reads, Hi, Adam. I am a big fan of your show, and I wanted to let you in on something rather exciting. Go on then, Addison. A group of friends and I have successfully started a classic film club at school. I'm in 10th grade, and we watch a movie a week after school, and once a month we host an evening film. So far, we have watched The Women, Dark Victory, Bringing Up Baby, North by Northwest, Vertigo, and The Lady Vanishes. Are there any super important movies you can recommend? Yes, The Brighton Strangler. Please not The Brighton Strangler that we should include in our lineup. We have access to the nearby college's library of thousands of DVDs and, of course, anything on the internet. But I'm in charge of choosing the films and I am overwhelmed by all the choices. Also, if you are ever in Omaha, Nebraska, please come to one of our club meetings. Hmm. Well, Addison, I mean, I I would have loved to have helped you out, but now that you've said such a cruel thing about Brighton Strangler, I'm not sure I can. 
I just don't know if we can work our way through this or not. Of course, I'm joking, Addison. The less people that watch The Brighton Strangler, the better. Onto your list. Seems like you've got a bit of a Hitchcock thing going on already. So I won't pummel you with too much more Hitch, but do make sure you watch Rebecca at some point. This is obviously a very truncated list because there are literally thousands of movies, but a great place to start would be Double Indemnity, directed by Billy Wilder. Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton. The Invisible Man, directed by James Whale. The Roaring Twenties, directed by Raoul Walsh. Cat People, directed by Jacques Tourneur. Trouble in Paradise, directed by Ernst Lubitsch. It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Frank Capra. A Matter of Life and Death, directed by Michael Powell. Roman Holiday, directed by William Wyler. And finally, And Then There Were None, directed by René Clare. There are 10 absolutely solid stone-cold classics there that will unfailingly make you popular if you pass that list off as your own. Seriously, the other 10th graders will probably buy you lunch for like a year without you even having to bully them. And do let me know how your evening movie nights go. If I'm ever in Omaha, Nebraska, then yes, I will definitely check in with you and see how it's going. Give my regards to your fellow club members. You're about to embark on a very exciting journey together. Next question is from Hallie S., who writes, Dear Adam, Recently I found out that Alfred Hitchcock originally wanted William Powell to play the role of Uncle Charlie in Shadow of a Doubt, but he was unavailable. To which I say, thank goodness. I mean, I love William Powell and I love Shadow of a Doubt, but the idea of him playing a character who's out-and-out evil turned my stomach a little. This is Nick Charles we're talking about, and Godfrey and Doc in Mr. Roberts. At worst, he should be a lovable rogue or an anti-hero, which I know he was in a few pre-code films. My question is this. Are you aware of any film in which Powell played a villain? Please let me know so I can go ahead and not watch it. I love your podcast. Obsessed with it. Can't wait to hear more. Best wishes from New York. Thank you, Hallie S. Yes, William Powell did play the villainous type many times, mainly in silent movies where he was cast as a Mexican bandit loads of times in early westerns. As for speaking roles, he plays a very slimy baddie in the movie Behind the Makeup. His character is called Gardoni, who's a struggling vaudevillian who's rescued from poverty by a clown, who takes him into his home where Gardoni not only steals his act, but his wife. Nasty pasty. I'll go with that one, but the other listeners may know of another one. Let us know if you do. Last question this time is from Chris T, who writes, Can you recommend your favourite podcasts, whether they be film-related or otherwise? Also, is there a reason Secret History is under the history genre on iTunes and not film? It sounds odd, Chris, as I'm someone who makes podcasts, but my listening time has been severely cut short since the Secret History series took off in a big way. I am always either working on that or sleeping, basically, and I hardly ever get the time or opportunity to listen to other people's shows. That said, if I do manage to find time, then I do try to listen to Stars on Suspense, Rated H, The Stinking Paws, Anywhere But Here, and Gilbert Gottfried, so have at those. As for why the secret history of Hollywood is under history and not TV and film, well, it's not really about TV. And although it's set in Hollywood, it's more about the people involved in the events of the time than the films themselves. I guess it could fit into TV and film if you really wanted it to, but history just felt like the natural fit. 
Anyway, if you have a question, then do fire it on over into the question pot by going to attaboyclarence.com and scrolling down the homepage to the question pot. I thank you. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Improved case, I tune up the tune up in a can. Ooh, that's creepy. Morning, sir. Help you? I hope so. And you know, hasn't got the pickup of a kitty car. Well, it's misfiring some. Some? Mr. Half my plugs are on strike. Improved case, I tune up the tune up in a can. Shut up. Yeah, probably your rings are sticking, maybe your valves. Uh, when was that carburetor clean? <laughs> Not too recently. Improved case site tune-up, the tune-up in a can. <laughs> Your car's not in such bad shape, all you need's a tune-up. A tune-up? A $50 tune-up? Now relax, we'll add a can of case site tune-up to your gasoline, another can to your oil. That'll clean your whole firing zone. Valves, rings, plugs, carburetor, everything. Mister, you're pulling it on. No, no, you pour it in. Dollar and a quarter a can at most any service station. Results guaranteed or double your money back. I just know it's about to come again. Improved case Well, on to this week's edition of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend. I have to say, I threw down the gauntlet quite fiercely last time, and suppose that many of you would not guess the secret identity of the guest. In fact, I was very wrong. I received lots of messages from you saying that you had indeed guessed who it was. So shame on me for underestimating you. Let's see how you do this week then. So prick up your ears, sharpen those wits. Listen for the clues and see if you can tell who the hell is that Hollywood legend. Whistle in the audience. Do you often get whistles? No. <laughs> and Dorothy, I must say this. I think that our guest is, has um, exhibited seemly modesty, but I'm quite sure that he gets whistled at a good deal by the young people. Well, thank you, Tom. Um, are you in the entertainment world? Yes. Are you in motion pictures? Yep. Uh, are you what I might describe as a glamour boy? I'll do it for you. Yep. That depends, ma'am. Um, are you appearing in a motion picture that's playing in New York now? Might be. You would know, wouldn't you? Nope. But I think what our guest is saying is that there are enough pictures extant in which he appears so that one of them might well be on Broadway right now. Right, well, smart talk. If he's, who, if he's who I was thinking of, he'd know, so uh, I'll uh, relinquish. I guess I gotta know. Peter, you're on. Well, are, are you a, a romantic figure on the screen? I imagine you are. Either that or my wife is in the audience and was whistling. <laughs> I'll answer that one. For me, yes, I would say that our... Our guest is a romantic figure. He's a very accomplished, intelligent person, but there is a romantic aura to most of his roles. His voice sounded like Grandpa Moses. <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, sparkle occasionally in Western stories? Try to. How now, brown cow? <laughs> Don't Do call mystery guest a cow. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh... You usually, well, you usually win the girl. That goes without saying. Nope. What? Really? No. I usually die before that. 
say this, though, Peter. I think he's one of the girl enough times to give you a go-ahead on it. Well, uh, do, uh, are you originally uh, from the East? Yep. Then have you had legitimate training, too, before you migrated to films? Yep. <laughs> well, I, I have an idea, but... Well, uh, go stab at it. Well, uh, are you a sort of a brawny leading man? Are you, I mean, the muscular type on the screen? For instance, if you only, if you played westerns, have you ever played, uh, well, have you ever played a prize fighter on the screen? And we'll leave it there. Roll the clues around in your mind for a few minutes and see if your guess is correct. The answer will be coming up later in the show. Improved Keyside tuna, the tuna bin again. Stop it. As I said last time, I wanted to throw some light towards the directorial career of Ida Lupino this time, because gender politics aside, let's just marvel at the bravery of this creative spirit. First off, she had a very flourishing acting career that stretched throughout the 30s and 40s in such films as High Sierra and The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, some real classics. She could very well have remained rich and famous by sticking to the glamorous roles being thrown at her by Warner Brothers, but halfway through the decade, she began to desire a bit more of a challenge and started to refuse the roles being offered to her by Jack Warner. In 1942, she was offered the lead in King's Row opposite Ronald Reagan and turned it down flat. Now, this had happened so often that Jack Warner decided to punish her by putting her on suspension. But rather than crawl back or waste her time sulking, Lupino decided to study the life of movies behind the camera and devoted herself to learning the more technical side of filmmaking. By 1949, she was writing and producing movies, and while on the set of Not Wanted, the director, Elmer Clifton, suffered a heart attack which put him out of action. Rather than waste time and money trying to hire another director, Lupino stepped in and finished the movie for him, and in one fell stroke, proved exactly how much talent she had. From there, she never looked back. The great thing about Ida Lupino's directorial career is that she never took the easy route. She would take an issue that she felt extremely strongly about and write her own story around it, generally quite a challenging take on each subject, as you'll see in a moment, and then apply her considerable talents to making the best film possible on sometimes barely a shoestring budget. But she also didn't stop acting, which I love about her. She didn't think to herself, oh, I'm a director now, so acting is beneath me. She also composed music, she wrote books for children, she even found time to write novels. She basically did what she wanted to do when the mood took her, and if that isn't liberation, then I don't know what is. So the first film directed by Ida Lupino that I want to tell you about today is called Outrage from 1950. You know, I always wanted Anne to become a teacher. There's a crying need for young people to replace us older educators. Overcrowded schools, classes too large, and showed great promise in high school, especially in mathematics. Yes, but there are other things, Mr. Walton. For instance? Well, like marriage. Marriage? Mr. Walton, I'm sure it comes as no great surprise. I want to marry Anne. But this is wonderful. 
When had you planned it? Right away. Oh. <laughs> I don't want Stella Carter or some other female to steal him away from oh. me. Oh, dear. There's nobody in the world I'd rather have for a son than you. I must just preface this by telling you that this film isn't an easy watch, especially in its first half. The story here is of Anne Walton, a small-town girl who wants nothing more in life than to be happy, to be in love, to please her parents, and to marry the man of her dreams who's just proposed to her. But all that is about to change. Hey, beautiful, what's this two pieces of chocolate cake routine every day? I've been here almost a week, and every time it's the same thing. Either you're nuts about cake or you got a boyfriend. If I was your boyfriend, you wouldn't have to buy me no cake. You'd better make up your mind. I might be moving on next week. How about it, beautiful? One night, Anne leaves work for home, only to find that she's being followed. Her pursuer is a low-life criminal who's had his eye on Anne for some time. And after a lengthy chase through the deserted alleys and back lots of Anne's town, he finally catches up with her and rapes her. Now, logic suggests that because this is an old film, we will now be treated to lots of stiff upper lips and community spirit, some overacting, perhaps, and some good old schmaltz, but no. Anne is transformed from bubbly girl next door into a screaming, nervous wreck. When she finally does venture outside, the small town she's lived in all her life seem to turn their backs on her. Indeed, some of them are laughing at her. Go on, take a good look. Go on, all of you! This is distinctly new territory for an old movie. Usually a sage old man will lean on his picket fence and say something very wise and Anne will be redeemed through the love that her fiancé still has for her. She may even face down her attacker and perhaps give a grand speech to the effect that she's no longer afraid of him and he'll be carted off to jail. Not so here. For the first half of the movie, at least, this follows a starkly unfamiliar formula. The scene in which Anne is stalked is absolutely nerve-shreddingly tense. Even though at some point you do find yourself shouting at the screen, stop looking back and just run, for heaven's sake. Plus, where on earth did everyone in this town go to? Those are some seriously deserted streets. Never mind that, though. Ida Lupino directs the hell out of this thing. Some of the shots she chooses are incredible, especially the ones up high during the chase scene, which really give the sense that Anne is totally alone and at the mercy of this predator. Plus, talk about efficiency of storytelling. This is one of those films that really gets to the point swiftly, and it's all down to Lupino's direction again, even from the first scene. The simple act of Anne buying some chocolate cake from a street cafe is loaded with menace, and just check out the visual storytelling in the scene where we see the rapist decide that he's going to commit the crime. All told through a cleverly placed shot and the very subtle performance of a pair of hands. Marla Powers, who plays Anne, gives a stupendous performance as a woman completely broken down by a random act of violence. She begins as very happy-go-lucky, but then is turned into a ghost by what happens, and has to reconstruct herself. She was very talented indeed. Hard to believe that this was her film debut, and even harder to believe that she wasn't nominated for an Academy Award. She really is quite something. 
There are problems with it. The last third of the film is tremendously hokey and feels rather disjointed and rushed. And the fact that the word rape is never used does clang rather loudly. You have characters being told that Anne was the subject of a criminal assault. And they all seem to instantly understand that that means she was raped. If someone said criminal assault to me, I'd assume that she'd been beaten up or something. Anyway, like I say, some of it is a tough watch, but seek out Outrage from 1950, and I think you'll be surprised at how riveting and rewarding the film is. The second Ida Lupino film I want to tell you about is, of course, her most famous film, The Hitchhiker from 1953. On the crime front, the police of nine western states from Washington in the north to Colorado and Utah in the east have been alerted to keep a continuous search for the Kansas desperado Emmett Myers. Reports have placed the killer in Florida, Detroit, and Seattle within the last 24 hours, although most of these tips have been discounted by police authorities. His latest victim, William Johnson, a salesman from Portland, Oregon, was found late yesterday in Imperial County, California. The victim's car, possibly with Myers in it, has not yet been found. This is the story of Roy Collins, played by Edmund O'Brien, and Gilbert Bowen, played by Frank Lovejoy, two friends on a fishing trip in Mexico who stop to pick up a hitchhiker whose car has run out of gas. Little do the two men realize that the hitcher is in fact Emmett Myers, a sadistic serial killer who's being pursued by the police for several brutal murders. Face front and keep driving. Sure, I'm Emmett Myers. Do what I tell you. And don't make no fast moves or a lot of dead heroes back there get nervous. From now on, while you're driving, keep both hands high on that wheel. And you, keep one hand along the top of this seat. The other hand high on that window. All right. Now turn off the next side road we come to. Myers wants to reach the town of Santa Rosalia, a few days' drive through the desert, and hijacks the men's car, ordering them to take him there immediately. If either of them run or try to signal for help, they'll be murdered. In fact, Myers is pretty open about the fact that once they reach their destination, they'll be disposed of. But how can the men free themselves? And who will survive the trip? And a good, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sam Hayes reporting your news final. At the top of the news tonight is the report that the hitchhike murderer, Emmett Myers, is still at large. Yesterday, the devil thumbed another eye, and William Johnson of Portland asked him to hop in. Now, William Johnson is dead. The first thing you notice about this film is the pulsing vein of masculinity that runs along the main plotline. Myers is a complete psychopath who spends the entirety of the film taunting the two friends for being just that and testing their manhood by constantly challenging them to try and take him down. It's very unusual to see a film from this period in which the male character's masculinity is so viciously threatened and tested. It's all the more remarkable because the film was written and directed by a woman, but perhaps not so surprising when you think about it. It's obvious that Ida Lupino was a pretty masterful observer of male chest-beating, and she was probably subjected to a few stereotypical male behavioral patterns in her time. To see her not only exploit them, but almost lampoon them is quite wonderful. These are tough guys. They are classic movie stereotypes who are gradually deconstructed by a man with a gun and a woman with a camera. 
and as they come apart, they're laid increasingly bare. You have a very stoic, granite-faced Frank Lovejoy at the film's outset, who by the halfway mark is so overcome by the sight of a child at a Mexican general store that he takes her into his arms and prays that she'll have a long and happy life. All of these scenes are tied together by some brilliantly conceived sequences of suspense, including a great scene where Collins is ordered to walk out to a rock and hold up a can. Collins! Pick up the can! Take it out of that point there. If you don't, I'll let Bowen have it. Out on the point, that's right. Further! Now hold it up! You won't get hurt, your buddy's good with guns. You're crazy, I won't do it. It's just a game. Go ahead. Collins, hold it closer to you. What's the matter, are you scared? Myers then orders Bowen at gunpoint to shoot the can out of his friend's hand and the camera flickers between the obviously distraught Bowen and a shot that looks down the barrel of the gun itself as it wavers between the can and Colling's head. As it plays along even further, each movement, each twitch of the finger or sideways glance between Collins and Bowen becomes loaded with menace. They're obviously planning something, but will it come off okay? Myers tells the two men right from the outset they will die, so they have nothing to lose, but how will that affect their actions? It's white-knuckle stuff. It isn't perfect. It unfortunately does overstay its welcome slightly. It could have done with losing a quarter of an hour or so from its running time. But that in no way distracts from what is a seminal exercise in suspense and dramatic tension. The Hitchhiker is one of the best noir thrillers of the 1950s by some margin. Do check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Improved K-side tuna, the tuna in a can. Yes, yes. Well, before we hear our radio drama today, let's see how clever you are. Do you have your guess in place? Good, then let's find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was exactly. Uh, are you a sort of a brawny leading man? Are you, I mean, the muscular type on the screen? For instance, if you, only, if you played westerns, have you ever played... Uh, well, have you ever played a prize fighter on the screen? Yep. Uh, was it a very wonderful picture by Stanley Kramer? Yep. Uh, what is it, baby? Did you just recently challenge Jack Dempsey to a duel? <laughs> That's unfair. <laughs> Kirk Douglas? Kirk Douglas. <laughs> Yes, it was Kirk Douglas. I must apologize for the sound quality there. Unfortunately, it was a very old recording, so parts of it are inaudible. But more importantly, did you get it right? I'm sure you did. You're all very clever indeed. God bless old Kirk Douglas. Still with us, of course. More Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend next time. As for radio entertainment today, let me whisk you to Suspense, a show in which Ida Lupino starred many times. I've chosen for you an episode called Summer Night, a dark little thriller that I think you'll enjoy. So I'll leave you there now, and I will see you afterwards. Suspense. Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations bring you radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Miss Ida Lupino in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Today, everybody's switching to Autolite.
And tonight, Autolite takes pleasure in presenting... Anton Leder's production of Ray Bradbury's remarkable story, Summer Night, starring Miss Ida Lupino. the line still busy? I just don't see how it could still be. Oh, it isn't the line, Miss McCauley. It's the circuit. I've oh. been simply swamped all afternoon. I haven't been able to get a call through to the police station for over an hour, yes. and the mayor's office has been busy. Yes, I know. I'm sorry to trouble you, but it's terribly important. Well, if you want to hang on, Miss McCauley, I'll try again in a minute. Oh, all right. It's been this way ever since the news got out about finding poor Lavinia. You heard about it, I suppose. Yes. Oh, just a minute, Miss McCauley. I got another call. Yes, this is the operator. No, I'm sorry, that line is still busy. Yes, I'll call you just as soon as I can give you a connection. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss McCauley, but you see what I mean? Oh, dear. Oh, Miss Welsh, by the way, It was bad I... enough last week when they found that other poor girl, but this time the whole town is on its ear, and I can't say that I blame them. What with a maniac loose and nobody knowing y yes, who Yes, I, I meant to ask you, Miss Welsh. Are they sure that Lavinia... I mean, that it was the same thing as the web girl last week? Why, yes. Why, I thought you knew. I just knew she'd been found. Oh, goodness, yes. There was never any doubt about it. Whoever it was, he used a knife, just like on the other girl. And then there was that same crazy cross on a forehead, you know, made with orange lipstick. That's why they're calling him, you know, the lipstick killer. Oh, yes. As I thought it must be that. But I wasn't sure. I, I didn't know. Oh, yes. They're looking all over the state for him by now. But, of course, they don't have much to go on. And the chances are that he's right here in this town anyway. Oh, I'll try to get your call for you now, Miss McCauley. Thank you. Oh. oh. I'm sorry, Miss McCauley. That circuit is still busy. But it can't... Well, why don't I call you back when I get through? It shouldn't be very long. All right. But please try to hurry it. It's, it's really important. Terribly important. While I was waiting for the call, I went to the front door to start locking up. It was coming on evening, a warm summer evening, and ordinarily up and down the street the windows would be open, all but mine, and you'd hear the sound of a piano or a radio drifting out onto the still summer air, and people would be sitting in swings and hammocks on their front porches, enjoying the coolness at the end of the day, but not on this day. Not this evening. I, I locked my door, too. I went around the big, gloomy old house, checking all the windows, just like the others. Not that I needed to, really. They'd been locked ever since Father died. And he went away. All in that one terrible week nearly four years ago. Yes, they'd been locked, and I hadn't left the house more than a half a dozen times, and nobody, nobody had come here. Why should they? I didn't want to see them, nor they me. I was the town's queer one. But all that was going to be different now. From now on, everything was going to be very, very different. Yes, I've hello. I've got your party now, Miss Macaulay. Go ahead, please. Oh. Hello. Oh, Helen, is that you? Yes, who's this? It's Anna. Anna Macaulay. Why, why, Anna? Why, what a surprise. 
How have you been, Helen? Oh, just fine. You know, there's nothing ever the matter with me. But how are you, Anna? Oh, I'm well. You know, I've been living rather quietly these last few years. Yes, I... I know. I mean, I'd heard... It's been a long time, hasn't it, Helen? Why, yes. I haven't heard your voice for... Well, how long has it been? Nearly four years. Has it? Three years and 11 months this week, to be exact. Oh, that long, has it? Well, it doesn't seem possible, and we were such good friends Helen, before. Helen, I hope you don't think. I mean, those last few times you called and I didn't answer. Oh, darling, of course not. I knew how you must be suffering, your father passing on so suddenly that way, and you'd always been so close. I, I wouldn't have even bothered you at such a time, only that we'd been such good friends, and I thought maybe I could help. And then, of course, I heard later anyway that... Well, that is, I... Uh, yes. Yes, I suppose you must have heard some rather strange things about me, Helen. Oh, not strange, dear, no. But we all knew you wanted to be alone in your grief, and we respected that feeling naturally. I know. But sometimes I've been afraid people didn't quite understand, though. Of course they did. Well, darling, now that you're back in the world again, so to speak, you must come over and see me. I'm staying with my mother now, but you know that anyway. Yes. Helen. Yes, dear? Helen... It wasn't just an accident, my calling you this way. Well, I should hope not. Now, I, I want to ask you a favor, a tremendous favor. Why, of course, darling, anything. I, I want you to come over here to the house. I should say I would. I'll try to make it Friday or early next week at the latest, just as... No, I, I don't mean just sometime, Helen. I mean now, right now, right this minute. Now? Yes. But, darling, I don't see how I can. I mean, I don't know what Mother's plans are. Helen, Helen, you know I wouldn't ask if it wasn't serious. Serious? What, what do you... Please, please say you'll come. Well, I'll try. No, don't just try, Helen. Come. You've got to come. Oh, darling, what is this? What can be so serious? Maybe I'm being silly, but I think it's more than serious, Helen. I, I think it may be a matter of life and death. For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Miss Ida Lupino in Summer Night, Autolite's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. You know, Dad, boy, Mom would sure get a kick out of this. Out of what, Billy? We leave home because she's got the house full of women, and so far there aren't anything but women in tonight's Autolite show. <laughs> well, if she's listening, we'll certainly hear about it when we get home from the firehouse. Oh, say, Mike, um, what's over on that workbench? What, over there? Mm-hmm. Oh, them's old batteries. We're replacing them with new Autolite staples. When your spark plug stut stut stutters, when your battery putt-putt-putters. <laughs> Switching to Autolite, eh, Mike? No, no, we've been using Autolite for over ten years now. You know, when you got to get out of here in seven seconds after the alarm sounds, you got to have the surest, safest batteries there are. <laughs> when we got to go, we go. Yes, the new Autolite Stayful battery is a great battery. Needs water only three times a year in normal car use. This greater liquid reserve practically eliminates one of the major causes of battery failure. Car owners tell us it's the greatest battery ever built. The greatest battery ever built. Money cannot buy a better battery for your car. Yep, that's real battery know-how. Once water goes into an Autolite Stayful, it's like going into a camel. 
The drinks are few and far between. Yeah, and even on nights as hot as this, you don't find the Autolite stay full at an old oaken bucket. So, friends, see your friendly neighborhood Autolite battery dealer and order the new Autolite stay full battery for your car. It needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Remember, folks, Autolite means batteries, stay full batteries. Autolite means spark plugs, ignition engineered spark plugs. Autolite means ignition system, the lifeline of your car. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Miss Ida Lupino as Anna in Summer Night, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. matter of life and death, I told her. I knew Helen would come to see me after that. It would be strange seeing her again. Not that we'd ever quarreled. She never even suspected, of course. But after that day when he went away with her, I'd simply put her out of my life and never thought of her again. Well, to be strictly truthful, I'd thought of her a great deal in a rather different way than I had before when she'd been my best friend. And now she was coming to my house again. After all these years, it should be interesting, quite like a surprise party for both of us. Anna, darling. Helen, Helen, come in. Oh, it's so nice to see you. It's, it's good to see you again, Helen. Why, you haven't changed a bit. You don't look a day older. Now, tell me all about it. I can't stay but a few minutes. Ted Barton drove me over. You remember Ted. Oh, yes. And he's got to be back before seven, but never mind that now. Darling, what is the matter? Helen, I, I'm frightened. Frightened? Of what? I'm afraid I'm going to be killed. Going to be killed? Yes, tonight. But, darling... You see, I used to know poor Lavinia. I used to know her quite well. And the other girl, well, I didn't know her, but it happened to her right near here, in the little woods just beyond the tracks. Anna, please, dear, what on earth makes you think anything like that could happen to you? You're perfectly safe if you don't go out, lock the door. No, no, I'm not. I'm all alone here, Helen. And there's been someone prowling at night. A man? Last night he tried to get in. Are you sure? I heard him trying the doors, the windows. Well, did you call the police? No, I was afraid to. Oh, Helen, I didn't know who to turn to but you. Everyone thinks I'm crazy anyway. Oh, Anna, dear, that's ridiculous. Well, we'll call them right no, now. No, it'll be all right after tonight. I know it will. Please, I just want you to stay with me tonight. Stay with you? Please, Helen, just this one night. I can't ask anyone else. I don't have any friends anymore. But, darling, I don't even have any night clothes. Oh, I'd already thought of that, Helen. I have everything you need for tonight. Well, I don't have anything for the morning. No face cream, not even a toothbrush. Why worry about that now? <laughs> Maybe neither of us will even be here by morning. Oh. So she said she'd stay. Went out and told Ted Barton. Ted Barton. It was typical of Helen. Only two weeks back from Cleveland... And already she had the county's most eligible bachelor squiring her around in his car. But that was going to be different, too. I fixed a little supper for both of us. 
And then we tried all the doors and windows. And then there was nothing to do but sit and talk to her until it was time to go to bed. No, no more, thank you. Afraid it will keep you awake, Helen? <laughs> I'm afraid I won't need coffee to keep me awake. Anna, is it true? I mean what they say about these murders. Is what true? Well, I mean... You've been out in the world, Helen, more than I have lately. You should know more than I. Oh, well, all I meant was... Well, you seem so frightened. I thought you might have heard something, something special. No. Is it true about the lipstick? Why not? Oh, it sounds so crazy. I thought it might be just something the newspapers made up. There was a cross on their foreheads. In lipstick. Orange lipstick. Anna, you do know something. Don't be ridiculous, Helen. How could I? But lipstick, Anna. Do you suppose perhaps it isn't a man at all? It's a woman. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, dear. Did I do that? No. Well, come along, Helen. It's time to go to bed. Oh, yes, I suppose we might as well. You don't mind sleeping in the same room with me, do you? Why, of course not, dear. Oh, shouldn't you leave on a light downstairs? No. Didn't do any good last night. Oh. Well, I must say I don't blame you for being a little frightened, staying here all alone. Rather a gloomy old place, isn't it? Oh, I don't think so. It's always been like this. It's the way father liked it. What about your mother? I hated my mother. Oh, Anna. Well, it's true. Why not say it? But your own mother. Well, what does that matter? Everyone has to have someone to hate, Helen. Enough to kill them sometimes. Oh, Anna, I don't think that's true. How can you say that everyone... Well, this is our room. Why? It's... It's what? It's charming. It's so, I mean, it's so different from the rest of the house. Yes. This was to be my bridal room, if I'd ever married. Darling, I didn't know... Well, I didn't know you'd ever thought That was of... a long time ago. What's the news of Charles? Charles? Well, there just isn't any. You knew we were separated, didn't you? Yes. What was the trouble, Helen? Oh, I don't know. After the first year, he simply became impossible, that's all. You remember, even as a child, he was sometimes wild and... strange. And... Oh, yes. Yes, he and I were always the queer ones. Why, whatever do you mean? Oh, strange, different, a little apart from all of you somehow. Not quite right, I think they say about me now. Oh, Anna, you're imagining that. No one ever said such a thing. No. Of course not. What about Charles? Nothing. He just left, that's all. I haven't even heard from him in six months. Are you sure it was all his fault, Helen? Perhaps if he married someone else. Oh, you know, there was never anyone else for Charles. That's the funny part of it. Of course, he liked other girls. He liked you. Yes. Well, you're certainly lucky he didn't marry you. I don't know what happened towards the end. It just went from bad to worse. It got so I hated the very sight of him. I told you, everyone had to have someone to hate. <laughs> oh, I didn't really mean Are that. Are you sure, Helen? Haven't you ever hated anyone? Oh, perhaps as a little girl, I thought I did. You hated me, didn't you? Why, darling, I there never... There were never... There were some times when I hated you, too. Oh, I don't believe it. Children can't, can't really... Can't they? When an ugly little girl like me sees a pretty little girl like you, getting everything she wants all through her life. <laughs> well, not exactly everything. You could always <laughs> twist the teachers around your finger. Later, it was the same with the boys. And finally, Charles just because you were pretty. Oh, maybe I was a little prettier than you, dear, but you were always the clever one. Yes. Yes, I was the clever one. Well, I suppose we really should go to bed. Why, Anna, 
Look at this. I didn't know you used lipstick. I, I don't. It's just one a young cousin of mine left here several months ago. Oh, well, that's funny. Do you know what color it is, Anna? What color is it, Helen? It's orange. <laughs> No, Helen wasn't very clever. It amused me to watch her trying to think, putting two and two together, and not being able to because she was afraid of her own conclusions, because she was essentially a hypocrite, like everyone else. If she hadn't been, it might have saved her life. It was some time in the middle of the night I don't know exactly what time, because it didn't matter. But Helen was sleeping as soundly as a silly child when I went over to the side of her bed and began shaking. <laughs> Helen, Helen, wake up. Oh, oh, what is it? Shh, don't make a sound. Anna, what's the matter? He's in the house downstairs. Who? I don't know. Whoever it was last night, he's gotten in somehow. Are you sure? I heard him. I've been listening for the last ten minutes. Oh, Anna, what are we going to do? We've got to get out of the house before he starts upstairs. But how can we? He'll hear us. We'll be caught. No, we'll go down the back stairs and out through the kitchen. We can go through the back lot, over the tracks to Judge Brown's house. It's not far, but we've got to hurry. Oh, Anna, I'm frightened. What if he hears he us? He won't if we're careful and if we hurry. The door between the kitchen and the front of the house is locked. Are you sure he isn't in the no, kitchen? He's in the front, I tell you. I heard him. Now, oh. get up, Helen. We've got to go right now. All right. Hold my hand. Yes. While I unlock the door, the back stairs are just to the right after we get out in the hall. Oh, Anna. Shh. Come along. Hold on to my hand and try not to make any noise. Here are the stairs. Just follow me. Yes, all right. Watch out. That's the last step. Yes, I've got it. We're in the kitchen now. Can you see anything? No, it's too dark. Let's stand right there, right where you are, and don't move. Where are you going? There's something I want to get before we leave. Anna, please. Shh. What are you doing? I've got it now. A knife. Here, take my hand again. All right. A knife? Shh, this way. Oh, I don't think I can for a minute. Oh, come along, Helen. In a little while, it'll all be over. As we hurried down the path, I kept thinking of her there behind me. So frightened now. I had to keep myself from laughing out loud. It was really funny. She'd always been so confident before. At school and later at the parties we used to go to, she'd been the confident one and I'd been frightened while she slowly poisoned my life, while she quietly and deliberately stole everything I'd ever wanted, even Charles. But it was different now. That must be the two o'clock local, the other side of town. Yes. Which way now? Straight ahead, through the grove of trees. Anna, isn't it here somewhere that they found that girl? Yes. Why? Oh, Anna, Don't... I can't, I can't go through there. Helen. Come along, don't be silly. Don't we have to? Of course we do. Anna, what was that? What? Didn't you hear it? No. I was positive I heard something. Now who's imagining things, Helen? Oh, let's hurry. No. We're going to stop here. Stop? But why? Can't you guess? Even now, Helen. Oh. Anna, don't. 
she didn't make a sound. I think she'd fainted even before I struck. She died without ever realizing why I did it. I made the cross on the forehead with the orange lipstick. It seemed such a silly thing as I was doing it. But of course I had to. And then I, I dragged the body off the path and started home. At the railroad tracks, I turned south a few yards to where they crossed the river and tossed the knife and the lipstick over the bridge and watched them disappear into the muddy stream below. Not that it was really necessary. No one would ever think of questioning me. They would all, of course, assume that the lipstick killer had struck again. And then suddenly my heart was in my mouth from the path ahead of me, cutting sharply across the moonlight was a shadow, the shadow of a man. Can I help you? I... I... I didn't mean to frighten you. I just thought you must be in some kind of trouble to be out of... Oh, Anna. Oh, it's Anna Macaulay. Charles. Oh, Charles, you did frighten me. Well, if you insist on running around town at 2 a.m. in your night clothes. Oh, Charles. Charles, this is really too much of a coincidence. Why, I didn't know you were anywhere near Boone Center. Theoretically, I'm not just passing through business trip. This is the 2 a.m. local. So I thought I'd kill the time waiting for the milk train by looking the old burg over again. <laughs> What's your alibi? My what? Oh, well, that's what I meant about a coincidence. I was looking for Helen. For Helen? No wonder you're surprised, Charles. But it's really very simple. First, there were these, well, what the newspapers have been calling the lipstick murders. I suppose you've heard about it. I've read something about it. Yes. Well, I, I suppose I was silly, but I got terribly nervous living alone in that big house. I asked Helen to stay with me. And then in the middle of the night, she got frightened and said she couldn't stay another minute and rushed out to Judge Brown's house. How typical of Helen. Yeah, well, then I, after I thought about it, I got worried about her and went to look for her. But I guess she must have gotten there all right. I didn't find her anywhere. You're not alone in that big house now, are you, Anna? Why, yes, I thought you knew, Charles. My father died. Oh, I'd forgotten. Well, silly to be standing here, isn't it? <laughs> If you've got to wait for a train, why don't you come back to the house with me? And I'll fix you some coffee or something. Wouldn't that be nicer? Yes, that would be nice. That would be very nice. I could hardly believe my good luck. Charles, of all people. It was as though he'd come back to me. Almost as though he'd known. And come back to me just at the right moment. So there we were, making coffee in the kitchen, talking over old times. Oh, dear, where is that opener for the evaporated milk? I never can find it. Oh, here. I'll open it with my knife. Just make a couple of holes in it. My, isn't that a rather dangerous weapon to carry around just to make holes in tin cans? Oh, it has other uses. <laughs> there. Oh, there we are. Oh. Tastes good. <laughs> Charles, I was terribly sorry to hear about you and Helen. Me and Helen? That you'd separated, I mean. Is that what she called it? Well, she said that you'd left her. Helen always had a quaint way of putting things. Didn't you? You don't still love her, do you? Love her? <laughs> Didn't she tell you where I'd been? I know, not exactly. I've been in a home, Anna. A rest home they call it. 
was Helen who put me there. Put you there? I'm afraid committed is the word. See, Helen thought I was crazy. Oh, Charles. I only got out a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I imagine they're still looking for me. You, you escaped? I had to. Oh, Charles, how dreadful for you. As a matter of fact, I've been looking for Helen. There was something I wanted to give her. But couldn't you find her? No. I thought I had a couple of times. But it wasn't Helen after all. What was it you wanted to give her, Charles? This. Lipstick. Yes. A frightful color, isn't it? Orange. Are you sure you're not Helen? I heard the doctors talking a little while ago. They say I won't live through the night. But I don't care. Oh, it's been such a glorious day. The happiest since I can remember. People have been calling on me whom I haven't seen for years. They say I saved the town. I must have screamed. I, I don't remember. So they caught poor Charles. And for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm a really important person. I wonder when they'll find Helen. And that was the marvelous Miss Ida Lupino in Summer Night. For suspense, wonderful. Well, that is all for this edition of Attaboy Clarence. I'll be reviewing two more movies over on the bonus show. So if you're a patron, then that'll be with you in a few days' time. If you're not yet a patron, then listen on to the end of the show to find out how you can be a patron. It just remains for me to say a very large thank you for joining me today. Do take very good care of yourselves, and I will see you again very soon. Bye for now. Improved K-Side tuna, the tuna in a can. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.